All right, so we're going to be in Acts 15. That is really cool. You'll have to tell me how it works later. I'm trying to think through because I helped with all the wiring and stuff. And All right, never mind. Acts 15, or Romans 15. <laughs> um, Romans 15. And last week we spent most of our time talking about something that um, I really love that is really near and dear to my heart as it is to yours, I'm sure. We talked about the gospel and how Paul was just driven by the gospel and how he took this gospel um, everywhere that he went and how he got to a place where everywhere that he had gone, he had preached the gospel. And so he was looking to expand and to go out even further. Um, so let's just read real quick, um, starting in verse 22, Romans 15:22. And says, For this reason I have often been prevented from coming to you, but now with no further place for me in these regions, and since I have had for many years a longing to come to you, whenever I go to Spain, for I hope to see you in passing, and to be helped on my way there by you when I first enjoyed your company for a while. So, uh, again, we see Paul's love and desire for sharing the gospel, Paul's love and desire for people. So let's, let's work through this verse a little bit, 24, and then as we look into 25 and 26. Let's start off simple. Who is Paul writing to again? As he's writing this book of Romans? <laughs> to the Romans, right? And where do these Romans reside? In Rome. Very good. All right, we're, we're getting the wheels turning. Uh, any idea where Paul is writing from? Mm, not here. Not yet. Just down the street from prison. Very likely down the street from prison. Anybody know where Paul is writing from? Yes, most people think he's writing from Corinth. Some have suggested maybe Ephesus, but uh, most likely he's writing from Corinth. Um, and let's look at uh, a map here and see where these places are. I know you're not going to be able to see this. There's way too much detail on there for us to be concerned with. We're just looking at the, the shoreline, more or less. So over here is Jerusalem, somewhere. Um, and then up here... That's Ephesus. This is Corinth. This is where Paul's writing from. And in these next verses, well, actually, he's talking about um, wanting to go to Rome, right? There in 24. And then he says he's wanting to stop in um, on his way to Spain. Spain's way over here. So you have uh, Germany and France, and Spain's like right here, maybe, like over on the window. Um, and let's pick up in 25. Well, we'll do 24 again. So he says, whenever I go to Spain, clear over here, um, for I hope, that's when I want to stop in and see you, for I hope to see you in passing and to be helped on my way there by you, when I have first enjoyed your company for a little while. But now I am going to Jerusalem, serving the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. So... He's here in Corinth, down in Greece, and he's talking about Macedonia and Achaia. It's these regions up here. He said that these guys, they've given a, a contribution to help out uh, the Jerusalem church all the way down here. And he says, I want to go all the way down here, over a thousand miles away, before I consider coming up to you in Rome and then going all the way over to Spain. So um, my question for you is, why would Paul want to do that? Why would he 
drive, or not drive, he can't even drive, right? <laughs> um, why would he get in a boat and, and walk around and wear out his sandals going a thousand miles this way, a thousand miles back, just to go another thousand miles to Rome before going on to Spain? Um, what's going on here? Why is Paul wanting to go down to Jerusalem? Okay, good. Paul had friends, right? Paul was a connected fellow. Certainly he could send that cabbage with somebody else. Why was Paul wanting to go down to Jerusalem 2,000 miles out of the way before stopping in at Rome and then going on to Spain where he could really um, get his enterprise going? That's why I wanted to go to Spain because Spain was well-connected. It was a a very strategic city um, with lots of trade and commerce going on there. But he says... No, my priority is Jerusalem. Was that to meet with the Jerusalem Council at that time, or was that another time? No, this is after the, the Jerusalem Council. Jer- good guess. Yeah, no, that's a good guess. Very good wrong, that was good. Yeah, <laughs> that's a great wrong guess, Rex. I appreciate it. All right, um, yeah, Summer. I just went off the scripture where it says he had a contribution to the fourth. Yeah. Yeah, so he had this money that he wanted to send down to Jerusalem. But it seems as if rather than just getting the money to them, yes, that was part of his priority, but he seemed like he wanted to get it there himself. That was important to Paul, that he was the one who would take and deliver it to this church at Jerusalem. Now, we know that this church at Jerusalem, they're struggling a little bit. Um, Eleven years before, he... Uh, worked up another contribution for them. We can read about that back in uh, Acts 11, Acts 11 and 12. And they were going through a a famine then. And he had that money uh, set aside and taken to that church at Jerusalem. But now he's working on another contribution. Yes. Well, Paul's relationship with his uh, Jewish countrymen was a little icy Hmm. at, at that time. And uh, in the book of Acts, we, when we read about that trip to Jerusalem, he kind of goes above and beyond to repair his relationship. He does indeed. Or establish a relationship, maybe, for the first time with mm-hmm. uh, some of these people in Jerusalem. And so it would seem fitting that Paul wanted to uh, build a relationship with them since he was a, an apostle to the Gentiles. This would give him an opportunity to establish a relationship with the Jews, too. Yep. Yeah, so that... Uh, role that Paul had as apostle to the Gentiles, that wasn't really well received by the Jewish community, um, which is largely populated back here in Jerusalem. And that's where, Rex, that Jerusalem council comes into play, or came into play earlier, rather, because the Jews were saying, well, what about these Gentiles? Can they they even be saved? Don't they have to become Jews first before they can become Christians? Um, They were having a hard time embracing the Gentile Christians in their own fold. They wanted to look at them as something different, something separate, rather than one body. And going back even before Paul's... um, contentious relationship with his own countrymen uh, based upon his ministry to the Gentiles. Um, We can look back even farther into the book of Acts. What was going on back in Acts 7, 8, and 9 with Paul? He was persecuting that very church, right? So let me share with you this quote from J. Vernon McGee. He has a, a thought here. He says that Paul wanted to go to Jerusalem to take a gift to the poor saints there, and he wanted to take it with his own hands. 
Why? Because with his own hands he had wasted the church at Jerusalem. He had led in the persecution of the believers in Jerusalem. Now it was in the heart of his, this great apostle to make up for that by taking a gift to them. So that's one of many reasons that Paul may be going there. Ultimately, we know that he is concerned with the church, and he wants the, the church to be unified together. And I think that he sees that him going and, and taking this gift could go a long way in um, furthering that unity. Um, but that, that personal thought that Paul was there persecuting the church um, and the, that contentious relationship with the Gentiles, those are definitely factors to consider. Yes, Jerry. So this is really the first time he's going to be in Jerusalem since he became a Christian because he was... No, this is on his third missionary journey that he's writing this letter. That was all out of um, Antioch. Yes. But he's... Because he was saved on the way to Damascus and mm -hmm. he went to Arabia and then he, he disappeared for 14 years. Yeah, like I, like I mentioned before, he had another gift back in uh, 11. Let's look back there real quick, because we're going to be in Acts 11 for a little bit, or Acts rather, for a little bit. But uh, turn with me back to Acts 11. And last few verses of Acts 11 says, Now at this time some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and began to indicate by the Spirit that there would certainly be a great famine all over the world. And this took place in the region of Claudius. Rain, thank you. The reign of Claudius. And in the proportion that any of the disciples had means, each of them determined to send a contribution to the relief of the brethren living in Judea. And they did this, sending it in the charge of Barnabas and Saul to the elders. And then jumping forward into uh, the end of Acts 12. So Acts 12.25 says, And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their mission, taking along with them John, who was also called Mark. And then it was after this that Paul went on his first missionary journey, second missionary journey. And now here in Romans, he's writing this in the midst of his third missionary journey about a second contribution. So that was the first contribution he had sent before. Yes. Depending on how you understand that dichotomy between Saul and Paul. Chapter but. 15, the council, he was Paul. Yeah. Yep. So he had been there before. Um, Good track. <laughs> all right. So let's take a, a look at the, the contribution to the saints. Uh, we have a few different passages here about this contribution. Can I get volunteers to do this? Who's going to get 1 Corinthians 16 for us? Who's got that? Jerry? All right. 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 5. Who's going to grab that? You got it. All right. Andy, and then 2 Corinthians 9, 1 through 5. Dean. All right. We'll get you next time. All right. So this is, these are different passages talking about the same contribution. Apparently this was a very big uh, ordeal to get these saints in Jerusalem some relief. So what do we read about it in 1 Corinthians 16, 1 through 6? Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so do you also. On the first day of every week, each one of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper, 
so that no collections be made when I come. When I arrive, whomever you may approve, I will send them with letters to carry your gift to Jerusalem. And if it is fitting for me to go also, they will go with me. But I will come to you after I go through Macedonia, for I am going through Macedonia. Perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter, so that you may send me on my way wherever I may go. All right, so we see a few things there. We see that the Corinthian church are being involved in this contribution effort. Uh, we see that Paul is encouraging them set aside ahead of time so that we don't have to go through all those logistics when we get there. But I can just grab the money, take it, and run and bless this other church really quickly and efficiently. And then um, we see that he is appealing to them for help. I'm going to come there, and you guys are going to help me, and I'm going to go on. We're together going to help this Jerusalem church. We see the body of Christ working together as one. All right, 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 5. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond the means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. All right. So there we see Paul just uh, really praising the Macedonians for their generosity and their giving. And at the end there... Um, we see in verse 5 that, um, and this, not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. Um, all throughout this whole contribution study, it can go on for weeks and weeks. Um, there's really an emphasis by Paul on the will of God. And we'll see that back in Romans 15, 32, that he says this is by the will of God, really entrusting himself to what God is doing and then, Dean, you have Second Corinthians 9. For it is super close for me to write to you about this ministry to the saints, for I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the Macedonians, namely the, that Archaea has been prepared since the last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I have sent the brethren in order that our boasting about you may not be made empty in this case, so that, as I was saying, may be prepared. Otherwise, if any Macedonians come to me and find you unprepared, we, not to speak for you, will be put to shame by this confidence. So I thought it necessary to urge the brethren that they would go on ahead of you and arrange beforehand your previously promised bountiful gift so that the same would be ready as a bountiful gift and not affected by covetousness. All right. So now we're seeing there's a lot that's going into this contribution building effort, right? We've seen it in Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, and there's gaps of time between there. We've seen, uh, geographically speaking, there's kind of a, a broad range of where Paul is going to to uh, build up and, and raise these funds. He's telling them, be ready so that we can get this show on the road and so that God can be glorified and these saints can be helped out, right? So a lot going into this whole contribution effort. Um, going back into... Well, I guess throughout all these, we're looking at this word contribution. But looking in Romans at this word, he says in 1526 that Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make 
of contribution to the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. That word for uh, contribution is koinonia. You guys recognize that word? It's the room we're in. That is the room that we're in. We are in the coin right now. This room is named after this word, koinonia. And it's most often used of fellowship. Um, It's translated most often as fellowship or communion. And we can read about this word in Galatians. So Katrina, will you grab Galatians for us? Galatians 2, 9 through 10. And this is um, going back to kind of where, where Jerry's mind was at before, before Paul even launched off on his missionary journeys, he was trying to uh, figure things out with the other saints and um, make sure that they knew that he was no longer persecuting the church. And this is what they had to say to, to him there in Galatians 2, 9 through 10. And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, received the grace that had been given to them, given to me, they gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They desired only that we should remember the poor, the very thing which I also was eager to do. All right. So he was extended the right hand of fellowship. He was welcomed in. Um, he was called the apostle to the Gentiles. I said, go ahead, go out to the Gentiles. We give you our blessing. We recognize God is with you in this. Only remember the poor. And there's a lot of reason to think that in saying remember the poor, he was talking about specifically the saints at Jerusalem. Remember those saints who are Jerusalem, the poor. And it says at the end there in Galatians 2.10 that Paul was desiring to do this. He was already wanting to remember the poor. He had a love for the poor. These were his fellow countrymen that he was willing to consider himself a curse for. Um, let's go back and now do a little bit of a, a journey through the book of Acts. And I'll have these verses up on the screen. So you can keep your finger in Romans. But uh, let's look at Acts and follow Paul's um, kind of mindset concerning Jerusalem and see what he's thinking about Jerusalem and this church of Jerusalem uh, in real time. Remember that Romans was written kind of in the midst of Acts. Um, I think it's, uh, is it 18? Or is it 19? Yeah, it's somewhere in there. Um, I'm getting distracted. So, yes, it was written in the midst of Acts. So let's look um, at Acts 19.21. And in Acts 19.21 it says, Now after these things were finished, Paul purposed in the Spirit to go to Jerusalem after he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia, saying, After I have been there, I must also see Rome. That sounds really similar to what we read in Romans 15, doesn't it? He wants to go through Macedonia and Achaia and then go to Rome. So he had that that plan, that thought in his mind pretty early on. We see that Paul is a, a planner. It's a good thing to be a planner, to have an idea, to have goals in mind. Um, we see here that he purposed in the, the Spirit. There's disagreement there about whether that's talking about the Holy Spirit or Paul's Spirit himself, um, like his personal desire. I don't see any reason why those two things need to be at odds. I think that the Holy Spirit was leading Paul, and Paul was a, an ambitious Uh, evangelist and he wanted to go himself. I think that those two things were working together. He wanted to go to Jerusalem. Once again, we see um, that's quite a ways away, right? So for whatever reason, Paul is 
here in Corinth, well, there he was in Ephesians, and he still, uh, or in Ephesus, <laughs> he wanted to go down to Jerusalem before heading back up to, to Rome. This was something God had placed on his heart, whether because he had persecuted them, he just wanted unity for the church. Um, he wanted to make the, the uh, bring the Jews and the Gentiles together. Paul had that in his heart by the Spirit. Uh, continuing on in Acts 20, verse 16, it says, For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he would not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hurrying to be in Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. So he was going down past Ephesus. Rather than stopping, he just met with the elders um, and he kept sailing because he had a goal in mind. Uh, 22. Of chapter 20, it says, And now behold, bound by the Spirit, I am on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testified to me in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions await me. So, he is headed to Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit has communicated to him clearly, and what the Holy Spirit has communicated clearly to Paul is that he has persecution in his future. That's what he has to, to look forward to. That's what is coming his way. Now, I told you, keep your, your finger in Romans 15. We can kind of see this um, farther down in Romans 15, 31. Um, this is during Paul's prayer. He says, please, please pray for me and pray this, that I may be rescued from those who are disobedient in Judea. And this is what he's talking about. The Holy Spirit has told him, there's going to be people who are going to be there. They're going to be waiting for you and they're going to be persecuting you. And Paul is praying or asking the, the Romans to pray. Um, there's going to be disobedient people there and, and pray for me in that situation, in that circumstance. All right, continuing on. Acts 21, verse 4 says, After looking up the disciples, um, this is in uh, Tyre. He had stopped in Tyre for a little bit. After looking up the disciples, we stayed there for seven days, and they kept telling Paul through the Spirit not to set foot in Jerusalem. So these guys, they've also been told by the Spirit, hey, there's, there's something waiting for Paul there. He's going to be bound in chains. Paul already knew, right? The Holy Spirit was talking to Paul. But the Holy Spirit was also communicating with these saints, and they loved Paul. And they said, dude, please don't go there. We, <laughs> we know that you're going to get hurt there. Um, we want you to, to stay safe and stay here. Uh, going down a little bit, in verse 10 it says, As we were staying there for some days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt, and he bound his own feet and hands and said, This is what the Holy Spirit says. In this way, the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt. Remember, it's Paul's belt. And they will deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When he had heard this, when we had heard this rather, we as well as the local residents began begging him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, what are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart. For I am ready not only to be bound, but even to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we fell silent, remarking, the will of the Lord be done. After these days, we got ready and started on our way to Jerusalem. And verse 17 says, after we arrived at Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. 
So again, they love Paul. They didn't want him to be persecuted. Paul said, dude, just stop. You're, you're breaking my heart even more. I already know. I'm looking forward to it, right? I'm ready not only to be persecuted at Jerusalem, but I'm willing and ready to die at Jerusalem. That was Paul's heart. Um, and it, it said that when they showed up at Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. That's a, a big deal. Um, Remember, we talked about the, the contentious attitude between the Jews and the Gentiles. The Gentiles had a hard time embracing, or the Jews had a hard time embracing the Gentiles. Um, that's why the whole Jerusalem council came up in uh, Acts 15. Well, um, once again, that same verse back in Romans 15, Romans 15, 31, when Paul says, pray that I won't be persecuted by those, those evil, wicked men down in Judea, he finishes up that verse, that prayer, by saying, and also pray that my service for Jerusalem may prove acceptable to the saints. Now, that might seem like kind of a, a weird thing to say for, for us, because when we give a gift to somebody, we don't pray, we'll, we'll pray, okay, we'll pray that they would like it, but we don't pray that they would accept it, um, because when you give a gift to somebody, you accept, you, you, Expect them to accept it. Thank you. I was having a hard time with that. You expect them to accept it. Um, and so Paul was praying. We'll pray that they would accept this gift because, again, there was that contention between the Jews and the Gentiles. And we see here in Acts 21 17 that they were received gladly. They were welcomed in and embraced. And so um, I want to pause here for, for just a moment. Um, and talk about uh, a personal practice that I have, something that I found beneficial in my own personal study. I've talked to somebody about this earlier this week. Um, but what does um, what is Hebrews 11 about? Who knows what Hebrews 11 is about? The faith chapter. The faith chapter. Good job, Joseph. All right. What about 1 Corinthians 13? Somebody tell me what 1 Corinthians 13 is about. <laughs> the love chapter. Good job. All right, uh, that's, that's kind of beneficial to be able to boil that down and say where those things are in Scripture, right? Uh, well, I thought so too. And so for past several years, I've been trying to summarize different chapters of the Bible so that I can better know what, what they're about and I can uh, commit them to memory. So I've uh, compiled different chapter summaries through the chapter so I can remember these things. And again, I think they're, it's beneficial practice for me, I would suggest maybe you consider, uh, as you're going through your own personal study, to summarize that what is that whole chapter about down to just a, a few words. Um, so you could do that in your own personal study. You could do it right now we're going through Joshua. So uh, Joshua chapter 1, for instance, is about God commissioning Joshua. Joshua chapter 2 is about Rahab's agreement. 3 is the crossing of the Jordan. 4 is 12 stones. 5 Jerusalem circumcised. Last week we talked about chapter 6, how Jericho falls, and today we're going to be talking about Achan's sin. And so by uh, summarizing these things, you can commit them to memory. You can summarize uh, seven chapters rather quickly. Um, or it can start off smaller in the book of Colossians that we're going through on uh, Wednesdays. Colossians 1 is about Jesus, the pre-existent creator. Chapter 2 is asceticism and being condemned. Chapter 3, set your mind on things above. And chapter 4, seize the opportunity. If you have an opportunity, take advantage of that. So uh, that's been a, a beneficial practice for me. I just want to commend you to maybe consider doing something like that. Um, I found it very helpful. And I bring that up now because I want to, at this point, summarize uh, 
Acts and some of the things we've been going through in Acts. So we'll start back in 18. Uh, back in 18, we read about Priscilla and Aquila and how they were in Ephesus. Uh, you don't have to write these down, but um, I'm going to. Uh, 19, um, we see the idol makers rise up. Um, they were not happy with Paul, and so they were rising up against Paul to come up against him. Uh, chapter 20, we see Paul's shepherd, shepherd's heart. Um, we see um, in verse 28, he recognizes that when I, I leave, I know that I'm going to depart. Savage wolves are going to come in. They're not going to spare the flock, and they're going to come after you guys. Paul really cares about um, the people that he's ministering to. We can see Paul's shepherd's heart. Um, 21, we see that Paul goes to Jerusalem. Uh, oh, I'm testing my memory now. Chapter 22. What is 22 about? I wrote it down because I forget sometimes. Oh, Paul pleads his case. So he gets there and he has to uh, plead his case, talking about um, how. Do you guys do this? Whenever I write his, I do it capital because I'm writing like about Jesus and God. So even if I'm talking about Paul or Walker or something, I just have a tendency to automatically do capital H. But Paul's not a capital H. So Paul there pleads his case. Um, 23. So we're, we're skipping over this in our, our journey through Acts. We're stopping in 21. We're talking about how when Paul gets there, he's going to plead his case before his brethren and tell them, about what he's doing there and how he just has a love and he's going to preach the gospel to him. And he's still going to be persecuted. And then in 23, he's going to be transferred to Caesarea. Transferred to a, a different prison in Caesarea. In chapter 24, Paul stands before Felix. And there, he's actually put under a, a two-year arrest. We'll check out that verse real quick in 24:27. It says, "But after two years, Paul had pat, after two years had passed, Felix was succeeded by Porcius Festus, great name, and wishing to do the Jews a favor, he left Paul in prison. Uh, so he was there for, for two years in prison. Um, Can you connect this back to Romans for us? Yeah, I'll, I'll get there. I'm a little lost. That's okay. We'll get there. All right. Um, I'm going to go a little bit further through the rest of Acts and talk about what's going on there. So there Paul was in prison for, for two years in Caesarea. Um, after, so he got to Jerusalem, this place that he wanted to go this whole time, right? And then he was transferred to Caesarea. He was in prison for two years. In 24, after... The ball starts rolling a little bit, and he has a shot at getting out of prison. Um, this is where Paul appeals to Caesar, and he says, "You know what? I just I'm going to appeal to to Caesar. You guys aren't getting things done, so I'm a Roman citizen. And I'm going to talk to him." In 26, we see that Paul is before uh, Festus and King Agrippa. In 27, Paul is shipwrecked. And then 28, uh, Paul survives a snake bite. So there's a lot that goes on in between 
uh, where we left off back in 21, Paul wants to get to Jerusalem. And then uh, here he's getting arrested. He's in prison for a couple years. And then he finally appeals to Caesar. And then as he's headed to Rome, Caesar is in Rome, right? Um, there's still issues going on. Paul is, is shipwrecked in, in Malta. Um, here, we'll look at this picture here. So, Paul does finally make it down to Jerusalem, goes down here to, to Caesarea, um, and then he gets on a ship. He goes up. He's headed to Rome up here. He gets shipwrecked in Malta, and um, that's where we're going to pick up in verse 11 of chapter 28. Well, after he shipwrecked, he survives a snake bite. And then in 28.11 it says, At the end of three months we set sail on an Alexandrian ship which had wintered at the island and which had the twin brothers for its figurehead. Thus we came to Rome, finally, right? And the brethren, when they heard about us, they came from there as far as the market of Appius and three inns to meet us. And when Paul saw them, he thanked God and he took courage. Verse 16, when we had entered Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who was guarding him. After three days, Paul called together those who were the leading men of the Jews. And when they came together, he began saying to them, Brethren, though I had done nothing against our people, the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. And he begins to tell his story, how he got there. He wanted to go to Jerusalem. Um, and these men were, uh, they were persecuting him. They were beating him. And then he's ending up here before Caesar in Rome. And he pleads his story. Well, jumping forward a few verses, it says, when they had set a day for Paul to plead his case once again, they came to him at his lodging in large numbers, and he was explaining to them by solemnly testifying about the kingdom of God and trying to persuade them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets from morning until evening. So even as Paul is pleading his case here in Rome, he's preaching the gospel. Verse 24, some were being persuaded by the things spoken, but others would not believe. And when they did not agree with one another, they began leaving after Paul had spoken one parting word. The Holy Spirit rightly spoke through Isaiah the prophets to prophet to your fathers. Now he's getting ready to take them to task here. Uh, he says that Isaiah said, go to this people and say, you will keep one, you will keep on hearing, but will not understand. And you will keep on seeing, but will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull and with their ears, they scarcely hear and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and return. And I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They also will listen. When he had spoken these words, the Jews departed, having a great dispute among themselves. And he stayed two full years in his own rented quarters and was welcoming all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness, unhindered. So, that is a lot that is going on for Paul. He finally made it to Rome, didn't he? And when he gets there, he's preaching the gospel at them, and he's calling them out, saying, well, you Jews, some of you are believing. That's what it said just a few verses earlier. But many of them are rejecting. 
And he says, well, God has given this message to the Gentiles. Even though you've rejected it, the Gentiles, they're going to accept it and they're going to embrace it. Uh, the Gentiles, as we read back in Romans 11, they've been grafted in. We have been given salvation where the Jews rejected salvation. So, jumping back to Romans, Romans 15, um, that gives us a, a little bit of Paul's heart for, for Jerusalem, why he was going to Jerusalem, why he wanted to uh, collect this, these funds from Macedonia and Achaia. And all this time, Paul had his heart set on Jerusalem. And then he said, and by the way, I want to make it back to Rome too. And eventually he did. Um, and he was there imprisoned, right? Something that we wouldn't consider that glamorous. But Paul was there. He was preaching the gospel in Rome. But um, picking up in verse 27 of Romans 15, it says, um, talking about these Macedonians and their gift, it says, yes, they were pleased to do so, to give, and they are indebted to them, for if the Gentiles have shared in their spiritual things, they are indebted to minister to them also in material things. So we see a, a concept of indebtedness that Paul says to the Gentiles. You guys are indebted in, in some way, in some respect, to the, the Jewish people. Um, and in speaking about Gentiles, he's kind of opening you up into broader categories of, of Jew and Gentile and this uh, concept of indebtedness. Let's look at what Jesus says back in John 4, 22. He says... To the Samaritan woman, you worship what you do not know, but we worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. The Jews had this connection with God. Um, we read, I think it was the beginning, somewhere in chapter 9 or 10, about how the, the Jews have a blessing from God, right? Um, they, they have the, the commandments, they have the covenants, they have this rich history with God, and they know God. Um, and salvation comes through the Jews. In John MacArthur's commentary, he says the, the things that are spoken about here in verse 27 were gospel truths that were first preached to the Gentile believers by the Jewish apostles, prophets, teachers, and evangelists. So Paul is telling these guys, look, we have salvation from the Jews. The Jews have brought us this gospel message, this gospel truth. We can bless and encourage this church in Jerusalem, not just because they're hurting. Yes, they're hurting. Yes, we need to be unified and make sure that this church is, is blessed. But we have an indebtedness that we owe to them. And we see, or we can uh, see a, a even greater principle here of um, those who are laboring in the gospel and how they should be provided for physically. We see that throughout the New Testament, not just in this one situation, but elsewhere as well. We have a couple of references here. Um, I'll look up Galatians 6.6. 6. Could I get somebody to read 1 Corinthians 9, 3 through 14? Well, oh, that's a long one. I'll grab that one. Somebody else grab Galatians 6.6. 6. Who's got Galatians for us? I got it. All right. Whenever you're ready. Okay. Let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. All right. And 
I'll just kind of summarize what Paul's saying in 1 Corinthians 9. He's uh, talking about how he and Barnabas um, have a right just as anybody else to take a wife, to, to eat, to drink. Um, how uh, it says further down in verse 9 that it is written the, in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing. God is not concerned about the oxen, is he? So God wants him who is uh, ministering spiritually to receive spiritual blessing. He talks about how the farmer farmer will eat of his crops um, and how the the soldier doesn't go out to war on his own expense. So he's applying those principles to those who are ministering spiritually and saying they deserve the same right to to reap from their benefit, to reap from what God has done uh, through them in their lives. So um, let's move on and look at Paul's plea for prayer in the last few verses of Romans 15, starting in verse 30. Let me see. I'll go back up to 28 and just see if I, I missed anything I wanted to touch on. So Romans 15, 28 says, Therefore, when I have finished this, that is, taking this contribution down to Jerusalem, and I have put my seal on this fruit of theirs, I will go on by way of you to Spain. And I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. Um, as Kind of incredible, just the, the confidence that Paul had that he would be there, that he would be in Rome, um, and that he would be there in the fullness of the blessing of Christ, even despite all the, the trouble that he was going to go through to get there. Uh, reading, starting in verse 30 about his prayer, it says, Now I urge you, brethren, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. So he's saying, yes, I'm praying. You guys join me in prayer and, and let's strive together that I may be rescued from those who are disobedient in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may prove acceptable to the saints so that I may come to you in the joy in joy by the will of God and find refreshing rest in your company. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. So we see in in Paul's prayer that it truly was a, a plea, that it was an urging and appealing. It was really heartfelt. Back in verse 30, he says, now I urge you, brethren. He doesn't appeal to, to his need, um, but he says, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the, the love of the Spirit or for the Spirit is how we could read that, that because of Paul's love for the, the Holy Spirit and his appealing to uh, these guys to the Romans. You guys love the Holy Spirit too, so join me in prayer. Let's let's pray together. Let's be unified in this thing together. In fact, he uses this word to strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. Uh, that word striving means a, a joint fervency or a vigorous joining to contend alongside, to, to struggle together as a partner. Um, soon agonizomai is the, the Greek word. You can hear in that ag agonize, right? To agonize together, to come together with me. Let's be in agony together with one another. And really, that's what the church is. It's people coming together, agonizing, struggling um, in, in good times and bad to, to come together with that unified purpose. Just as in a, a marriage, you have two two people become one body and they become unified in that one purpose together. 
And that's what Paul is appealing to these, to these Romans about. We see that he is sharing his needs, and it's okay for us to, to share our needs. I think we often uh, neglect to, to realize that, that sharing our needs is a, a good thing. It's a blessed thing. And that's what he does in verse 31, saying, there are these people, they want to hurt me. Pray that they wouldn't succeed. In, in hurting me and pray that this church at Jerusalem that despite all the the messiness in the background that they would actually accept this gift from me uh, it's good for us to ask prayer for one another and if you guys haven't been doing that through the, the prayer ministry um, I want to encourage you to do that uh, talk to Dean uh, use the, the app or the website and let's share a prayer request with one another because we should be unified striving together in prayer um, we see that resting is a good thing. He goes on, he says in 32, uh, pray for me so that I'm not hurt, so that they accept these gifts, so that I may come and join you in joy by the will of God and find refreshing rest in your company. Paul doesn't want to, to go to Rome to be refreshed by the, the scenery, right? By all the, the architecture, certainly not by the Colosseum. That's not why Paul wants to go to Rome. Um, but he wants to go there to be refreshed by the saints, that he could have that fellowship with the saints there and uh, find joy and rest and be refreshed by them. Rest is a good thing, something that we should strive for and, and consider. And then he wraps up, he says, Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. So let me, let me just ask you, was Paul's prayer answered? This prayer from 30 to, to 33, was that prayer answered by God? Yes. Yes. All, all prayers are answered by God. Was that prayer answered by God in accordance with what Paul wanted, what he was seeking? Was it confirmed? And, it and how so? In a manner he probably wasn't expecting it to be escorted there by the soldiers. Yes, and they received him. And they had a long period of time there. <laughs> the government's insistence. Amen. He rented an apartment and he was sharing the gospel with people who were missing yeah. For two years. Good. Any other thoughts on how Paul's prayer was answered? I threw some, a bunch of P's down on your page. It just kind of worked out that way. Um, those are talking about how prison protected Paul. And it protected Paul. Oh, I'm writing protected again. <laughs> uh, prison protected Paul uh, from premature persecution. Prison protected Paul from premature persecution. Of course, that's talking about ultimate persecution, premature death, right? Um, but again, remember here, Paul ran into trouble in, in Ephesus. And all throughout Paul's journey, uh, these guys, these Jews who were in Ephesus, they continued to, to follow Paul um, from, from city to city. Um, even before that, he was having issues in, in Thessalonica and um, Berea. 
there were people that were following after him. And that's when in chapter 19, these, these idol makers rose up, right? That's where we read about um, Lydia, right? Is that her name? Um, and how she cast out, or her, the demons were cast out of her, and her idol makers were no longer able to profit out, off of her. And so they got upset, and they rose up against Paul. Um, and that's when he decided, well, he decided before, he's going to Jerusalem. He got there, and he pled his case. And remember here, this is where more Jews, these same Jews very likely, were coming after Paul. They were upset with Paul. They wanted to kill Paul. And Paul was tipped off by his sister's son, right, his nephew, um, caught wind of this, that people wanted to kill Paul. And so he was transferred to, to Caesarea. He was protected. He actually had a, an army brigade who was coming following after him, and he was protected. He was in the will of God as he was on this mission to, to preach the gospel. And, in fact, he was put up um, like Andy or Rick, somebody alluded to. He was actually there for, for two years under the protection of... Um, those people who were keeping watch over him. Yes, he was in prison, um, but he actually had quite a bit of freedom there that for those two years he was able to receive guests and visitors. And I don't want to paint it like he was in a five-star hotel, but um, God was at work and he was protecting Paul and um, even working in the midst of his negative circumstances. And then he appealed to Caesar. He got to Rome on somebody else's dime, right? They sent him, yes, he was in chains. They sent him to prison. And we got to remember that Satan ultimately is behind all of this, right? He is a, a roaring lion seeking who he can devour. He doesn't want Paul to succeed. He hates the gospel. He hates Christ. And I think he's still at work here in seeing that Paul is shipwrecked. Um, Paul went through many shipwrecks, but he's on his way to, to Rome, finally, after writing to the Romans here in chapter 15. Back in chapter 1, he said, I, I want to come to you. I want to impart to you a spiritual gift so that you and I may be mutually encouraged. I want to see you, even though I've been prevented from doing so. Uh, and after being shipwrecked, he's again bitten by a snake, by a poisonous snake. And everybody expects him to drop dead there on the spot, but God is bigger and God is at work. And God brought Paul through. He is answering his prayer in, as you said, a, a way that he likely didn't expect, in a way that very likely surprised Paul. But uh, God is sovereign. He's in control. And he made it to his destination. He had a, a very good balance of having plans. He wanted to go up to Macedonia and Achaia, down to Jerusalem, back up to Rome, um, where uh, guessing that he may have made it to Spain, but not really sure. Um, so he had these plans, but yet he was holding it loosely and resting in the will of God. Uh, James 4.15 talks about how we should be doing that, not um, saying, oh, I'm going to go to this town or that town, but rather say, well, if the Lord wills. And I think Paul was very much with that mindset that I want to make plans, I want to be a good steward, but also to realize that God is the one who is directing the way, and it's dependent upon what he says, if the Lord wills. Well, something else popped up on my screen there. That's okay. Um, let's look at this verse here in 2 Timothy, um, towards the end of Paul's ministry. He says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. 
I have fought the good fight. I have finished a course. I have kept the faith. I think those are beautiful verses from Paul that really summarize his, his ministry, that he was faithful. He, he kept at it. And he got here to the, the end of his life, to the end of his ministry. And he was able to say, yes, I've been faithful, and I want to continue to be faithful, uh, even in the midst of difficult circumstances. You and I should be looking at Paul and trying to do that to balance planning and yet resting and trusting in God, all with the desire to, to share the gospel with others. That should be our, our driving motivation, our driving force, um, seeing the church unify. There's a lot to see here in these verses, a lot of good things that we can pick up and apply from Paul. So um, maybe I should put the challenge to you guys. How would you guys summarize just these several verses? Uh, Romans 15, 25 through 33. Why don't you take a stab at summarizing that down to just a, a few words, a short phrase. We did this with the, the youth group as we were going through First Peter. And it was fun, but it was challenging, wasn't it? Uh, and we would we'd work our way down. We would say, okay, well, that's, that's chapter one. How do we summarize it to, to one sentence? And I would say, man, there's, there's a lot in there. Well, yeah, there is. God's word is living and active, right? It's, uh, we cannot plummet steps. Last week, Jeremy brought out his big stack of books, right? Uh, we can't plummet steps. And so to even try to summarize it more, it's a, a difficult job. And then after getting it down to one sentence, we boil it down to 10 words and five words and three words. So anybody want to take a stab at this? How would you summarize these? last few verses of the 15th chapter of Romans. Faithful service. Amen. Faithful service. What else? There's no one right answer. How is Paul faithfully serving? Persevering. All right. Faithful service, persevering, keeping the faith, a love for the saints. Um, many different ways that we could summarize this. So, um, again, we should look to Paul. We should be encouraged by Paul, challenged by Paul, um, and seek to, to imitate him even as he imitates Christ. Let's go ahead and pray, and we'll go over and learn about Achan sin, Joshua chapter 7. God, we thank you once again for, for Paul and for his faithful service. We pray that you would give us that same attitude that, that he had, that you would cause us to be bold, even as Paul had to, to cry out, that you would make him bold. Um, God, like Paul, we, we realize, like, like you said in uh, 1 Corinthians 2, that we have no... Uh, nothing great of our own, no cleverness of speech. We, we don't have anything to offer except for the gospel. We want to, to offer that to, to any who would come and, and hear and freely accept and receive. And we just pray for those opportunities that you would bring the lost to, um, to an understanding of who you are, that you would draw them to yourself, and that you would even use us to, to speak into their lives, to encourage them and challenge them and um, God, just work in our lives. Help us to, to live out our life as new creatures in, in you, that we would be set apart and we would shine as stars in a crooked and depraved universe. 
God, I thank you for this body of believers, for Orchard Hills Bible Church. Pray that you would unite us together, that we would be um, of the same mind, that we would be united in you, and we would be of your mind, that we would be humble, considering others as more important than ourselves, um, realizing we don't have a righteousness of our own, but we have been made right by you. We thank you for that. Pray these things in your name. Amen.